Hi, I'm Dave Barnes. And I'm John McLaughlin. And welcome to Dadville. Dadville is a podcast where we talk about life, love, and the pursuit of awesome dadding. It's funny thoughts and deep talks. So please, enjoy your time here in Dadville and enjoy this episode with... Dr. Morgan Cutlip. Do you do the thing where you put a bunch of toys and stuff in a bag when like they're not there? And then you put it down in the basement and after like a month has gone by and they haven't mentioned any of them. See ya. It's that goodwill. That's exactly what I do. I did that with something recently though. We're in California. They don't have a lot of basements. I put it in the garage for like three months and then I had someone to come buy it. And for like good money, like a hundred bucks. And I told my son, I was like, "I'll, I'll give you the money. This is yours. Like I'll give it to you. You haven't played with it for three, but maybe even more. He lost his mind. And so the lady left. Like he oh, was like, oh no. this is my childhood wrapped up in this wooden tool bench I've never played with, all this stuff. So she left. I felt terrible. So now I don't, t- now I don't tell them. Oh, yeah. See, now I'm a liar. Now been, I'm though. a liar. I'm like, no, How just- proud would you have been if at the end of the tantrum he was like, it has to be at least 250. <laughs> I would be so, my then, husband would have just died of happiness. Him. He's just conning them. You get inside. He's like, sorry, mom, I had to put on the waterworks. But, uh, it was worth it. Like, it's to, it's actually kind of on brand for him. I it's dare you to do that with your husband <laughs> stuff. I just dare you. I want you to try. Yeah. I just want you to like start grabbing stuff that he doesn't wear as much and just slowly gather a pile and he then sell even. it. He wouldn't. He, had no he wouldn't even If there was care. a company that did that, that you could hire them and like in the next 18 months, just without you knowing, they just come in and... <laughs> They observe your life and they're like, look, you haven't touched that basket thing. We don't even know what that is. We're going to take it. That would be, I would gladly pay for that service. I would too. I don't what even a- want to know the logistics. Yeah. yeah like, don't, just do it. Yeah, just, just don't tell me. you know the better. There's yeah. like, like nanny cams. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. <laughs> Terrifying. The, the best hack I ever heard with that is that at the beginning of the year, you take all of your um, hangers and face them the same way. And then oh, yeah, yeah. literally December oh. 31st, you go in and any hanger that hasn't been turned oh. from you wearing it, you give it away or you yeah. sell it or whatever, which I was oh, like, man, that's, that's, a, pretty, so, that's a good one. That's that good is one. good. Right? I don't know. I, you know, I'm not a, I don't hold on to a lot of stuff, but there's been times where I've cleaned out my closet and then I'll like come back and I'm like, gosh, darn it. I threw that away or I don't. Yeah, there you go. So it's backfired. Yeah. Now your I'm son scared. is selling your stuff in the garage. You're like, yes, he he's got a he's bag like, of my stuff. My, he's just counting cash in the kitchen. <laughs> you know what I thought you were going to say about him is that he got that hundred bucks and was like, mom, let's head to the playroom. I got some more stuff. So maybe cash out. <laughs> he got that first taste of capitalism. He's like, boy, this is sweet. This is good. <laughs> uh, okay. So Morgan, we need to start this party because you, you are, I mean, this, this is, uh, we have a lot of questions. We are. We are excited. We, we are. We have a learned doctor. <laughs> on the we do. We have today. someone who is. I hope uh, I live up to it. No, you are oh, going. Man. You are going to deliver. I can feel it. Okay, so today we are super excited to have Doctor Morgan. That's a doctor, folks. That's Dr. with a P. Uh, Morgan Cutlip with us, and we made a list. John and I made a list. I don't know, probably a few months ago, and you were on this list. True story. And we thought, oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. And knowing the book, and then obviously your your Instagram and podcast and all the things we're like this just feels like the perfect person to have on dadville that knows Mm -hmm. things that we don't (laughs) (laughs) 
Every now and then we try to have someone who knows things yeah. on. Yeah. Just to and then, balance it out. And then we have kids who don't, and that's when we feel powerful. Let me read a little bit of your uh, background here, the brag sheet, as we call it. This was cool, her bachelor's degree. I like that you stayed all Ohio here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm proud uh, of Ohio. Ba- yeah, bachelor's degree in psychology at Miami University, her master's in human development and family science at OSU at Ohio State, and earned her doctorate in counseling psychology from the University of Akron, which gives you, like, you nailed three of the main universities in <laughs> Ohio, which is really amazing. Um, hosts the Love Thinks podcast with her dad, Dr. John Van Epp, mother of two kids, Effie and Roy, which are, are they the two co- coolest kids' names I've ever heard? Thank like, you. Like, I watched that cartoon. Is, that, is Effie short for something? No, no, they're family names, actually. Oh, they oh wow. I always have to I be love like, those they're names. Thank you. I always feel like I'm like, they're not elderly. They're just family <laughs> names. But <laughs> you've got, uh, yeah, you've got, uh, like, yeah, 50 year old kids. Uh, <laughs> she created the My Love Thinks blog and the Motherload course and has been featured um, in, this is amazing, by the way, Teen Vogue, New York Times, Women's Health Magazine, Mops International, Loveology, and Flow, and the number one app in health and fitness. Look at you. Dang. Look at you. Come would you? On. Just look at you doing your thing. We're so proud of you. Oh, thank so you. Yeah. I'm happy to be here. You guys are so fun. I've listened to multiple episodes. Of oh, and just oh thank you. Okay. Like, love them. Yeah. Oh, thank so you. So good. Yeah, yeah. I'm stoked. Do you sing my name at the beginning? Because that's really yes, why I'm here. John's going to come in hot yep. with that. He's that's been right. his right. Well, I'm going to record it right after this. Hey, so I want to start off with this question, which this is kind of a, a random sort of a side note question before we get to our real questions. Okay. I was reading in your book, which maybe by the time this airs, it'll, it'll be out, your new book. Yeah. And you say, as sort of a throwaway line, that timeouts are out of fashion. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't, wait. I didn't you didn't get the memo? Hear. What's the, yeah, what's the story with hear. that? I was like, what's the, are they really out of fashion? I, <clears throat> actually, we haven't done a timeout in a while, for our kids at least. Yeah. What, what's the- um, Wait, wait, John, I have to pause. If it wasn't yeah. for your kids, who would it be for? I can't actually talk about Amy doesn't like <laughs> me to talk about her love life. So. I think we should. I think we should go there. Let's could wait you imagine if you, hour. Could you imagine if you did that with your husband? Just like, that's it. Go to your room. <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, five minutes? Go. Probably to- some people would really benefit from oh, it. Oh, I would. I would. Yeah. I know right now saying that, that would be a good move for me. Yeah. No doubt. No, but what is, what's the story on that? Is it really, is there like a movement to not be doing timeouts anymore? Or even feel- scary, or is there like psychological things that we don't yeah. know? That- I grew up with timeouts. I grew up with like really, my, my dad has his doctorate in psychology. So mm-hmm. I grew up in like the house where we have family meetings and, you know, oh, wow. really intentional timeouts where, um, you know, you take the timeout and then we'd have to talk about what we did wrong. What are we going to do? Yeah. You know, how do There's we There's like prepare? a worksheet. It's like, it was like a workshop. I went into motherhood thinking I would also do timeouts, but, and, and I honestly, I'm not going to ever cite anything where I don't have any full data on it or something like that. So I haven't looked into the data on timeouts. So that's something I'll have to revisit. But here's what I know is that in just the space of experts on social media and things like that, there has been this movement, and I'd say a few years ago it started, where they started knocking timeouts like it was somehow like you know what they called them time ins we got to do time ins which is essentially like a timeout but you sit there with your child when they're dealing with whatever big feeling they're dealing with yeah there's also this whole movement for calming corners and Mm -hmm. i've heard you know i've heard pros and cons of this one so i don't know i think that 
it depends on your kid. That's really where I tend to land on this stuff. I yeah. feel like there's so much gray space around these things. Our daughter had pretty intense tantrums. I could not sit next to her yeah. while she was taking yeah. a minute. We, there had to be a little bit of physical separation. Um, so I think it's just being attuned to your kids, knowing what works for them. If they're going to feel abandoned when you leave and they're having a hard moment, yeah. then be closer, stick, stick around. But there are kids that might need a little bit of separation. But then when you come back, and I think this is the important piece, is when you come back together, how do you process what happened, why it happened, and like complete the circle for them, complete the loop, you know? Mm. So they mm -hmm. understand, you know, why was I sent off to my room? You know, let's talk about it. What could we do differently next time? Was that okay? You know, process it with your kids. Yeah. So part of the thinking was like, you don't want to abandon your kid in some state of like arousal. Right, state of like yeah. dysregulation that yeah. they're that they need a co-regulator, and I Ooh. think that right, and I think that you know all the way through adulthood we can appreciate having co-regulators. Uh, so I think it's it's a helpful thing, but again, to just paint stuff as black and white, I think can sometimes leave parents feeling like I can't get it mm -hmm. right or everything I'm mm -hmm. doing is the wrong thing, and so it's important to really consider your personal context and you know what your kid is like. This could lead to a million other thoughts, which we don't have to do this, but I do feel like looking at, and John kind of has a question in a minute about that, this, so I won't give it away, but it is interesting thinking about, um, I feel like pe people in our parents' generation, what I was exposed to a lot was a very kind of like things are very black and white. Like you mm -hmm. have parenting books that are like, this is the way to do this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, I feel like, you know, a lot of my parents and their friends sort of fell in line with that. And I think a lot of it worked, but you would have these kids it didn't work for, or you'd have a personality type that it was like, this is just not copacetic to this kid. <laughs> and they're the, like, you know, the one like hanging out there to dry. Um, so it's interesting you say that, which John's going to address that. The thing I was going to say is this. So your new book, Love Your Kids Without Losing Yourself, the subtitle is Five Steps to Banish Guilt and beat burnout and you guarantee it which is amazing with the money back so <laughs> that was a <laughs> no, i thought that I was really great that was a really yeah. bold move that we <laughs> and they, you would come babysit for two nights if it didn't work oh which is really i will take your kids <laughs> <laughs> I'll take your kids. um okay so there's a bunch of highlights there but this is the one thing that we want to know is could you talk more about sort of the core conflicts that all moms face like what do you think are the things that moms you know, I don't know if that's five, three, one. What are the things you really think? These are things mom, right, moms right now really having a hard time with. Yeah, this is – so I talk about this in chapter one um, because I just have this belief system that when we can identify and define things that feel really hard, it empowers us to do something about it. I feel yeah. like a lot of times we live with these like invisible experiences that are challenging or draining, but all of a sudden when we put language to it, we're like, oh. I got yeah. this. So yeah, 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 I, I wanted yeah. to start there for yeah, moms, which is like, why does motherhood feel really hard? Also, why is it maybe shifted over the years? So I give three core conflicts. They all begin with I. I try to make things memorable. Uh, the first is uh, identity. And the conflict is my needs versus the needs of everybody and everything else. And I think mm -hmm. that um, I'm sure you see it in your with your wives just women in general sort of have this, I don't know if it's whatever, programming, things we've absorbed through our growing up experiences, systems we exist in, but um, this push to sort of self-sacrifice mm. for the preservation of our relationships. Mm. And um, 
I think it's actually quite a beautiful thing. Um, But what happens a lot of times in motherhood is that we have to put our needs on the back burner for the sake of keeping this little child alive that we love so much, but we sort of get stuck here. And so then we start putting the needs of everybody and everything else in front of us Mm -hmm. for so long that we get to the point where we're like, I don't even... I don't even know what I need anymore. Yeah. I don't yeah. even mm-hmm. know what's going to scratch the surface. So that's the one, um, one of the first conflicts. The second is idealization, which is uh, my reality versus my ideals about motherhood. And wow. um, this, the idea is, is that, you know, you go into motherhood sort of learning how to be a mom from the moment you're born. I mean, you, we're growing up absorbing what we see, what we experience with our own caregivers, and it just like lives in us. It lives in us, and then we become a parent or father or a mother, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's all these expectations and what I thought a mom should be, should look like, her energy level, her patience level, mm-hmm. all of this stuff. And when our lived experiences look dramatically different that gap between is where feelings of falling short Mm. uh, guilt shame all that stuff really starts to to develop Mm -hmm. and then the third which i think is um we could probably talk about this one a lot which is intensity of our parenting standards which is my parenting is good enough versus my parenting must be perfect and i I mean, I'm on social media more than I care to be, honestly, but you see it all of the time in the the mass amount of information we're trying to sort through to figure out what's the right way to parent our kids. And I think we parent with such hypervigilance. You know, we're wanting everything to be stimulating and entertaining and child-centric and it it should bring our life meaning and we've got to get the wording right. So we get this kind of paralysis in our parenting and mm-hmm. so all of this just makes the stakes really really high yeah. and and there's a lot of opportunity to feel like we're getting it wrong yeah yeah <laughs> you know it's interesting i feel like that that segues into my next question really well i feel like today there's such the intensity around parenting and our I guess the guilt, and you talk a lot about this in the book, the guilt that we feel as parents and specifically moms feel especially, why do you think it is that way now? Because I, and you probably have talked with your dad about this as, as you work with him, it's, it's different now than it was in their generation, I feel like. They're just different, um, there's just a different level of intensity, seems to be, as much as we can say. Uh, why, why do you think that is? Yeah, I think that, um, I think it's some of the things I mentioned. I think a big part of it is this intensity. I feel like there's this movement. I mean, I don't know if you've seen it, but like calling um, parents cycle breakers. You know, we're really keyed in to wanting to do parenting very differently than past generations. Millennials Mm -hmm. spend the most amount of money on self-help. We're really driven to like improve and do things right. Parenting has moved to the center. I feel like partnership has actually kind of moved to the outskirts, which is problematic in my opinion. Um, Mm -hmm, Partnership has become central. We sort of you even think about just like little things about the uniqueness of our children's names. We're so invested in, you know, everything being different and special and like what we feed our kids. Like we're just really wanting to get it right. We are def- almost define our identity through our children. And so mm. the stakes mm-hmm. are really 
high, I think, for our generation because we are so intense about how we approach parenting. And I think when your standards are really high, it's going to be really easy to, to fall short of those standards. And uh, that's usually where guilt creeps in, when you feel like you violated some standard you hold yourself to. I think the other reason, you know, I remember that, that my mom's kind of like straight shooter, uh, which you love it. And then you'd kind of hate it sometimes right. when it's coming right. at you. But I remember I was like, mom, like this is, I don't, what did you do? What did you do when you didn't know how to handle whatever with my sister and, and me? And she's like, I just called my friend and did the same thing she did. You know, it was like, there was no, <laughs> you know, there was like not a lot of investigation. Oh I mean, I yeah. I feel like there's so much information now, which is a blessing, but too much mm -hmm. of a good thing can really become bad. And Absolutely, yeah. I think there's mixed messaging. Mm. I think that the information doesn't always take in our context as parents. Mm. Um, but if we're like scrolling during a hard moment with one of our kids and we see something that we didn't do, we're going to feel like absolute, you know, crap. And I think yeah. that this also is a, a massive source of guilt for a lot of parents is that there's just so much out there to really compare yourself to. Yeah. And, and I mean, you, again, this is so much of what you talk about. Uh, but man, I would say, especially for moms, I just yeah. feel like, yeah. th you know, the more that um, the stuff that I see on Instagram people send to me, it just feels like so much of that stuff is aimed toward sort of like the maternal space where it's like, okay, five ways to make a bread sandwich without gluten and bread or, you know, and you're just like, that's just one of a hundred, you know, things I mean, posted in the last hour that just feels so aimed at yeah. moms, you yeah. know, mm -hmm. and even yeah. in, in what's inferred in some of those, how to do it better is that you're not doing it well. It's like, yes. it's totally. a, it just feels like there's this mantle um, parents take, but I would say so much more moms these days, you know? Oh gosh, I can think of, I mean, one that comes to mind for me too is in the parenting space. I remember reading something once where it was like, don't praise your kid too much because they'll be code, you'll raise a codependent. And I was like, oh, you should hear my son. We, he's obsessed with baseball. It's all we do. And so I play every day, you know, pitching drills and hitting drills. You know, he's like, am I doing a good job? Am I doing a good job? Did I do a good job? And it's like, I'm not supposed to, am I not supposed to praise him? I know. Right? It's I know. just like bananas. Johnny. Dave. I saw the UPS man come to your house the other day. Okay. I, I saw you with the binoculars. And I'm, no, yeah. that's, that's actually what came in my UPS package seconds before you opened your UPS package. Oh man, the timing was And I noticed on. that you got a copy of something. I was excited to see how, what you thought about it. Okay. Now, here's me asking you about it. Here you go. Me. Have you enjoyed reading your copy of Rooted? The NIV Bible for me. Uh, I saw that you got it. I saw that yes. you got it. Yeah, I got a lot of packages. Some of them I'm, I'm a little unsure about you mm -hmm. asking about. But that one, that one, Dave, I certainly have enjoyed it. New from Zondervan Bible Publishers, designed to help you connect with your identity in Christ, is Rooted, the NIV Bible for men, and Flourish, the NIV Bible for women. Now, Dave, have you enjoyed your copy of Rooted? So that means you've been spying on me, too. I, I have. Yeah. yeah. Okay. My Bible doubles as binoculars. <laughs> I do. I, I love the summary of talking points and questions at the beginning of each book uh -huh. of the Bible. It lays out some of the common questions and thoughts we have and pinpoints where it's being addressed in Scripture, which is super yeah, helpful. Yeah. I like that. I also like the, the profiles that it has on certain people yep, in the Bible. I saw that. It's cool. It goes a little more in-depth about important figures and the roles that they played and all that. I'd, I'd much rather just stay in the Bible than pull my Wikipedia out and <laughs> figure that 
out. True. It keeps it keeps True. me a little more focused. Other features include myth articles yeah. that expose commonly accepted myths of our culture and refute them with God's word. It has notes that offer clarity into the attributes of God and has questions for growth that you can answer alone with a friend or in a small group. So both of these Bibles, Flourish for Women and Rooted for Men, offer the knowledge, strength, and clarity to navigate life's challenges with Scripture as your guide. And Flourish, the NIV Bible for Women, and Rooted, the NIV Bible for Men, are available both in hardcover and leather soft style. Mm, so Ooh. soft. So soft. You can find out more and order your copy at Amazon.com slash Rooted and Flourish. That's Amazon.com Rooted and Flourish. John, Dave. I, whoa, sorry. Oh, I thought we were going to sing. No. <laughs> Try it one more time. One, okay. two, three. Dave. No. Oh, I thought. No, uh, it's okay. Let's just. Let's just go. John, it's appropriate. I'm a little confused right now because okay. sometimes with all this P&P, okay. Oh, you're talking about podcasting and parenting? <laughs> I am. <laughs> I never, never get enough rest, John. I just never get enough. Look, I get it. You know, as we get older, Dave. Yep. Our responsibilities and challenges are RNCs. Yep. They increase. Yep. You know, and that causes stress levels to rise. Yep. So prioritizing quality sleep is one of the best ways to take care of yourself. Now tell me, what are you typically doing right before bed? And be I, honest. And I'm going to level with you, John, because yeah. I'd never want to lie to you, okay? okay? My motto has always been, if it's bedtime, it's time to be on your phone. And that's just <laughs> words to live by. You used to say that back in the early I 90s. Did. I and did. A lot of oh, people and that line, you'd have to stretch that thing all the way to your bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> it was a long, long. <laughs> all right, Dave. So what if I offered a okay. new idea? Okay. I mean, let's let's table your technique right now. Okay. Because maybe while you're getting about 45 minutes of sleep each <laughs> yeah, night. So what if instead you made sleep your simplest self-care bedtime routine with the... Hatch Restore 2. I That's knew right. you were going to say right. that. That's right. All right. Now, hear me out. Think of the Hatch Restore 2 as your bedside sleep guide, Ooh. right? Your ally and rest, oh, if you will. I like that. The innovative all-in-one dream machine is a sophisticated sound machine, light, and alarm clock beautifully designed for your bedside table. I tried to make that my nickname in middle school. Yeah. The, uh, it dream didn't machine. catch on. It, it didn't did, catch on. It did not catch on. My right. mom would say it to me before I went to school, and it was very awkward. <laughs> but, John, hearing you say it like that, guess what? I'm going to try it. I'm okay. going to try it. That's good. Now, Dave, good rest allows you to be the best version of yourself, and mm-hmm. lately you have not been at your best. <laughs> That's what me, your family, and all your friends have been saying, which is why the Hatch Restore 2 is engineered to help you form healthy sleep habits for life. I've been through some some thumb things. That's it, John. This is why I need rest. Can you hear it? You hear it in my slurred speech. I can hear it. It's as though your hatch teaches your body, John, when it's time to sleep mm-hmm. and when it's time to rise with That's light right. and sound cues. It coaches you through meditations and mindfulness exercises that transform the time before and after sleep into restful rituals. RR. That's right. It sounds great, John. Dave, great sleep can't be forced, but it can be learned. Oh, now, like I've said that, that was... since the early 90s. <laughs> So true. And right now, Hatch is offering our listeners twenty dollars off their purchase of a Hatch Restore <gasps> Two and free no, shipping not and. at hatch.co slash dadville. Sleep deeply and wake gently with the Restore Two. Go to hatch.co slash dadville to get twenty dollars off and free shipping. That's hatch.co slash dadville. <laughs> <laughs> Whew, 
man. Dave, Louise, yeah. I want to give a shout-out. Yeah. And when I give a shout-out, I always I laugh because it just brings me so much joy you to give a shout-out to Claritin yes. Yes. for supporting this episode and providing us with free oh, samples. You know it, John. This time of year, my allergies are in fuego. They're mm-hmm. always on the attack, but I use this, and you should too. Oh, I do, Dave. Every day in our house. Yeah. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, which is, this is me raising my hand, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill to relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, runny nose, itchy and watery eyes an itchy nose and throat and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. John, I've been taking Claritin D for my allergies for a long time, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can go for a run without my eyes watering. I may be crying, but it's not sure, from allergies. Totally different. And I can sing without feeling like I have like a big old, let's not even call it a frog. It's, a, it's like a toad. It's like a family of toads. It's a family. It's a turtle. Yeah. In my so you ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? Yeah, me. I, it's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Are your kids doing the thing? I feel like my I have two daughters about the same ages as your kids, and they they are really into comparing they, yes. they want Amy and I, they want to do something and then they want Amy and I to say which one did it better. Yes. They're so into so, that right now. So competitive. So yeah. Competitive. And it's, stra- I get stressed out by that. Oh my gosh. Because it's totally. like, I'm going to create an argument and that's going to make my life difficult. Oh yeah. So how do I get out of this unscathed? Oh, yeah. When well, yes. I always feel like I'm, I have an outsized sense of importance. I'm like, this is the moment. This is the crossroads right here. We're like, if we play our cards right here, and we're like, you know what? Actually, Livy did it a little bit better. Luca's going to grow up to be a concert pianist because she's like, that's the moment where I was like, you know what? I can do better. I got to push. Or she's going to be an inmate at the local prison because she's like, that was the moment where I was like, nothing's ever good enough for you, dad. Playing you piano know. on yeah, squirrel bones that she collects in her cell. Squirrel bones. <laughs> <laughs> She's fashioned. Oh you know, yeah, there's just. But that. you're nailing. That is a pressure that mm-hmm. makes parenting feel really heavy today, which is that mm-hmm. anything that I do is potentially going to leave a forever impact on my kid. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's heavy to walk oh. around with that sense of awareness. And I think that. I don't know. I mean, we should do some interviews of older generations. I don't know if our parents walked around with that same amount of just worry that mm-hmm. you're going to say this thing and it's going to set the tra- your child on a new trajectory. Right. It's too much pressure. I I try to uh, I try to remind moms that you know every kid's going to leave childhood with something. I, yeah, you, you just yeah, can't sure. yeah. escape yeah. it. And part of the reason is because there is just this difference between intention and interpretation. Like we yeah. can go into parenting with such a pure heart and good intentions, but our kids are going to interpret things differently than we That's mean right. them. And we can't control that. And even between your two or my three or John's two that, you know what I mean? Like you can, that's still one of the most fascinating things about parenting to me is that you can sit with a family of two or three kids 
and and talk to each of them and they will have vastly different experiences of, mm-hmm. of their parents. Yes. Yes. And the parents can look at you on a lie detector and it will pass saying we did nothing different. And it's, you know, and so then you get into like, well, we kind of nailed it with kid one, <laughs> sort of missed on kid two and in the middle of kid three. And yeah. so then that's that's another thing. Which again, these are so funny how much these dovetail in these conversations, but you know, the thing I wanted to also ask is, you know, your idea that balance is baloney, which is kind of a little bit of what we're leaning into here. Yeah. And we're being lied to and thinking that it can be achieved. But can you kind of speak to that, too, about w- what that mantra sort of means? Yeah. So I start the book here um, because I feel like because the title of my book is, you know, about not losing yourself. Right. And I'm sort of right off the bat. I'm like, but you're gonna like you're gonna. <laughs> sorry. Like, I welcome totally- to the book. <laughs> Welcome to my... <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. I know. I'm not tricking you. There's actual stuff in here that will help. But it's it's like we have to ditch it. We have yeah. to ditch that mentality. We've fed a belief that you can achieve this permanent resting state that's balanced. And if we... And I mean, like, I think I say in the book something like if you mix the, rap, the right ratio of fats and carbs and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. do right. all the right things, yeah. that somehow you'll get it and then you'll stay there. And uh, what happens is when we find that balance and then we lose it again, we're like, um, I'm doing all, I, what, now what? Now we yeah. go down that rabbit hole of trying to find the, right, the next right answer, right. you know, and I'm doing all the things. Why do I keep messing up where we feel really bad about ourselves? And so I want people to know balance is baloney. It's, we take it off your plate. Stop trying to get there. Um, and if you actually reach sort of like that cruising altitude, there's likely going to be some turbulence right ahead. And so expect it, expect that life's going to throw us out of balance. And, um, specifically that life is going to really work in a way that pulls our relationships apart. It's just Mm. naturally happening that way, whether it's our relationship with our partner or ourselves or our kids, the beautiful, the blessings, the tragic, the Mm. heartbreaking, all the normal parts of life pull our relationships apart. It's like having kids. It's like, wow, like this is such a blessing. It's amazing, but it's super inconvenient for your marriage. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's harder. And so we, we have to, we have to, um, think about if we can get on board that life's going to mess us up. Yeah. There's the natural things that follow. The next is that, but you're not going to autocorrect. And so if you're going to get pulled apart, but you're not going to naturally come back together, that means that the third logical step is that you have to actively manage your relationships. You have to be a participant in that. Um, just like you should manage your relationship with your kids. When we feel distance from our kids. I think it's the most natural for us to step in and say, we need to get some time together. Mm-hmm. You know, But we need to do that in our partnership. We need to do that in our relationship with ourselves too because it's mm. very easy because we are spread so thin to put ourselves on the back burner. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's... I wonder if if at the core of all that, that sort of like obsession that we somewhat naturally have to find balance and homeostasis, and I think that that obsession with like optimizing everything, you know, like optimizing our diets and our especially our kids' diets and our all that kind of stuff, is really like our our aversion to pain. You know, mm. you really just want to avoid mm. pain and this lie that you can have some sort of balance that you can find. There's some right balance that you can have in your life where everything's going to be a well-oiled machine. And especially, I mean, 
if if someone were to phrase it this way, like I'm really looking forward to having kids, I hate having inconvenience and uncomfortable situations and my heart torn apart. You would be like, well, to, uh, don't have kids. Of course not. <laughs> it's like the worst and also the best. But it's like you're you will be destroyed by these kids, you know, in the best way. So I I really like that message of of um balance being just throw it out you're not gonna just find throw it balance out. that's yeah. not a yes that's not a thing um I, I so my next question i feel i should have asked this a couple of minutes ago because we were talking about it but i had this conversation with my parents recently and it came up it came up because my parents came down to visit and we're all sitting around the table and my and my mom um she was like look john i'm about to stop listening to your podcast because the other day you said how I never played with you when you were, when you were a kid. And she's joking. Of course, my mom's listening right now. Mom, I love you. Um, she's one of our favorite listeners. Um, but I was like, you know, I mean, it's true. Like, I, my parents are the greatest. I have the best yeah. relationship with them. I love them dearly. I don't know that I have any memory of like when I was five years old and my mom and I are down on the floor playing with hot wheels cars you know and they they said to me and and i was bringing it up in that past episode because i'm like why am i so obsessed Mm. with playing with my girls Mm. and i feel so guilty a lot of days because i just i lay in bed and i'm like i just didn't get good time with them and my parents were like look our generation the the goal our, our our parenting goals are different generationally. Like our generation was like, you are you have done parenting well if you raise good kids who are well adjusted and they can go out into the world and interact with adults and get a job and live life. And they said your generation's goal is to be really connected with your kids. And they weren't. I don't think they were making a judgment on it but they were that that's just their observation and um so i'm curious what if you have any we've spoken on this a little bit but as a learned learned doctor who also works with your learned learned doctor father who's in a different generation Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on this does he have thoughts on this have you guys talked about this we have talked about this well i'm kind of curious do your parents did they say they played with you it was inconclusive. I think my mom was like, surely I played with you. And I was like, like, I don't remember, but I'm sure it happened. Yeah. And I'm like, mom, this, I'm not, this isn't a, an attack. This is more a self-correcting observation for myself, yes. you know, and a curiosity of like, where did I get this? Why, did, why do I feel so much guilt when I don't, yeah. when I don't do it, you know? It's funny because my, my mom says she played with us a lot, but I don't remember it either. So I think sometimes yeah. like I look at my kids, I'm like, all this time I'm playing. You're not going to remember this. But um, yeah. <laughs> I, I think you really nailed it when you talk about the parenting goals looked very different. And I think this is a big source of it. I think that, you know, my guess would be our gen, our parents' generation was largely focused on like, grit and resilience and hard Mm -hmm. work and you know is my kid successful type of stuff where not only are we really focused on connection I think we're really feeling forward Mm -hmm. and um I 
I kind of think a lot of times we, we as humans, um, I see this in people's relationships. When we've done something that we didn't didn't like or done something wrong, we kind of overcorrect mm-hmm. in this really extreme way. And it's like, we got to kind of dial it back. And so I think in some ways we've become really feeling driven. And so we we worry a lot about what, how we're, you know, oh, my kids' feelings. Are they feeling abandoned? I'm not playing with them. Are they lonely? Are they, you know, we're sort of like in that space a lot more worrying about things, which I think can conjure up a lot of guilt and, and concern. But I think, you know, it's, it's, it's too much. Like you said, like that, bur- like you going to bed at night and thinking about that is too much. And I, how I talk about guilt in my book, I it will apply it to you too, or to anyone who really struggles with guilt, is to think about what is this sort of moral code that you have held yourself to that you're now violating. Because we tend to have a lot of these sort of codes or, or standards, probably better to say standards, that we hold ourselves to that are really, really extreme, especially in motherhood, especially in parenthood, that are really unrealistic. So maybe one of yours is a good dad is always playing with his kids. You know, and so mm-hmm. anytime you're not, you're violating that. You're violating that standard you hold yourself to. So you kind of need to really examine it and say, okay, what is this a well-rounded standard? Is this actually possible? Would I say this to somebody else? And how can I revise it to be a little bit more realistic so I can, you know, ease up on this guilt and really just be so grateful for all the time we had together to, to play and um, all that good connection time? Because if you're worrying about it, I bet you're getting a lot of good connection in with your kids. I bet you are. I bet you That's are true. like next level. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, my wife is always like, babe, you, you play with them all the time. You jump on the trampoline all yeah. the time with them. But it, you know, and I, I wonder, last thing I'll say about this, I, I do wonder if part of what fuels it is when you, and I know you talk a lot about this, about when you become a mom for the first time and the reality of it, like you were saying earlier, you have your ideal of like, it's going to feel like X and it mm-hmm. doesn't, it doesn't feel that way. I wonder if part of it is, you know, I don't want to jump on the trampoline. I love my kids to death. I don't want to, I don't want to jump on the trampoline, you know, or I don't want to play with Barbies right now, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And then I think there's a part of me that's like, but I should want to. Don't you love your kids? Right. You should. I just want to keep sitting here. Or I want to, whatever it is, you know, so. Well, yeah, it's like those shoulds are super revealing. I think shoulds are like a window into our expectations we hold ourselves mm-hmm. to. So anytime those creep up for you, if you like pause for just a second and are like, ah, what is it? That's coming up for me mm-hmm. right now because um, those are the usually the impossible standards that we hold, that we hold ourselves to that get in the way. And I mean, it doesn't sound like you're here, but some people will give into those shoulds so much they get to the point of resentment. It's like they're doing it, yeah. but they're not yeah. doing it with like a like a soft and warm like heart around it. They're just kind of like, eh, fine. You know, so I think that's also something to pay attention to. If your shoulds are becoming sources of um, anger and frustration towards people you love the most, it's absolutely time to make some shifts. John. Dave. Dadgummit. And I'm uh, sorry. Hey, I'm, language. I'm, I know. I'm sorry. I just need a break. I need a break right now. Could we get okay. some coffee, me and you? Wait, did you just say coffee, Dave? I said coffee. I didn't say coffee, Dave. But Oh, oh, yeah, just yeah. coffee? Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, today's episode and my morning cup of joe, if you'll hang on just a second. Okay. Mm. 
is brought to you by, let's sing it together. Methodical Coffee has craft coffee and tea for people of all kinds, John. Roasted, blended, brewed, served, and perfected by verified coffee and tea nerds like my friend Johnny John John here. <laughs> That's exactly right, Dave. I'm as nerdy as they come. And Methodical isn't just the name of their business, Dave. It's their approach to everything, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, right? yeah. Methodical has been roasting and hosting, which rhyme. Uh-huh. So we love it because we're songwriters. We do, we do. For over eight years and offers a wide selection of coffees and teas that are complex, yet easygoing, just like Dave Barnes. Oh, do you really mean that? Kind but of. the best of Methodical's coffees is our signature Dadville <laughs> blend, John. Well, it is no competition. No. No competition. No competition. Yeah. Dave, the Dadville blend is the fuel that gets me going Every morning. Again, I just want people to hear. Oh, sounds mm. great. Sounds great. Filled with hints of, hang on, uh, that tastes chocolate, mm-hmm. some graham, uh-huh. and then right there in the back of the palate, some brown sugar. Oh, oh yeah. and if you go to methodicalcoffee.com slash dadville, it takes you right to Dadville Signature Blend Land. Mm-hmm. You can get as much as you want. And don't forget to enter our discount code. What is it, John? It's called Dadville. Yes, right. the discount code. Yep. So visit methodicalcoffee.com for more information and... As Dave said, mm-hmm. use the discount code DADVILLE for 10% off your first order. That's methodicalcoffee.com and use the discount code. Tell them, Dave. DADVILLE. DADVILLE is sponsored by BetterHelp. Dave, do you ever find yourself on stage performing? Yes. yes. Yep. And the audience gets quiet? Yes. Anticipating the start of another song? Yep. And then just as you're trying to find the right presence of mind to begin, random thoughts are just racing through your head. Does that ever happen? Uh, oh, uh, well, you mean like, what are we eating tonight? Did I already eat tonight? Mm-hmm. Is there mm-hmm. dessert tonight? Mm-hmm. Why does that guy look so uninterested? Mm-hmm. Is she mad at me? <laughs> Is that my mom? Like those kind of things? Exactly. Totally like, been there. Like the crowd's ready for a sweet love song, but yes. all I can think about is how I may have been a little rude to Amy the night before when I asked her to help me clean the dishes or something. Well, John, as it turns out, one yeah. great way to make those racing thoughts slow down, see what I did there, mm-hmm. or maybe even go away, is to talk them through. Therapy gives you a place to do that so you can get rid of your negative thoughts and deliver that beautiful ballad to your adoring fans. That's right. You couldn't be more right, Dave. I'm used to that. Therapy is so helpful. It teaches coping skills, helps you set boundaries, empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Dadville today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Dadville. That, that is, mm-hmm. yeah, that was going to be some of my next question, that idea that you have of shitting on yourself. Should, shoulding, I'm about to get shoulding. edited here. I can There's feel no it. bad um, words in my book. <laughs> the whole, oh my gosh, we should write a Christian book called Holy Should. Um, the, um, the, the holy should. No, but That's I, the reissue. Well, one of the things that I do wonder if it colors some of that shoulding, shoulding, is, um, I, and listen, this is a huge swing, but I do, I think with our generation, having dealt with so much divorce, you know, like the fifty percent divorce rate or whatever. Where I think the generation, our parents' generation, 
you know, they came up with parents, you know, the World War II and, and the Greatest Generation, that whole thing. So they had their own list of yeah. things, which was awful and hard. But I do think some of that connection, I just have to believe, is so propelled by our generation being the ones that just, just kind of took so, like, we took on so much of that water. And we really felt what it was like to be, like, really disconnected from your dad or your mm-hmm. mom. Or you never saw your mom again after you moved with your dad to wherever. You know what I mean? And so, you know, it, it is interesting how time moves through generations and how those things are then, um, you know, then they sort of bring on different responses. But it's a pretty, to me, it's a, it's a huge gap. I mean, to John's point with his parents, you know, it's like you can really feel the difference in, you know, uh, how they parented us and thought about us and then how we parent our kids. And it's only been one generation, you know, but, Mm -hmm. but I do think some of that has been colored by, and I think for, I think too, you know, just whether it be your life or your friends' lives, you really see the detriment of bad parents. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'll never forget. I'm really, I've been so fortunate because my parents are awesome, awesome. And so I was sort of used to like pretty consistent, loving, affectionate, kind of normal parents, you know, mm-hmm. but then I get with friends who really struggled with stuff mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, relationships or drugs, alcohol, name it. And I was like, what is going on? And then, and then they would kind of let you into this, you know, I have this broken relationship and it really messes my head. And I was like, that is substantial. And so yeah. all of a sudden that's going to color how you think about it. Because I think John's joke is true. There is this feeling that's very out of whack, but it does feel like if I don't parent this kid right, she's going to be a reprobate. She's going to be selling herself on the corner downtown Nashville. You know, when she's 20, yes. like, you can really let your brain run because, because it does matter. Parenting really, really matters. But, you know, it's not the end all be all. Like, it's not the only thing that factors in to what you said so well, you know, earlier, Morgan, like they're going to, like you can do your best. They're still not going to onboard all that information, right? Or they may, yeah. t- you know, it may not even work for them, some of the things. But I do think some of the weight of it comes from this thing of just living life, even if it wasn't you peripherally, to see like, man, like my friends have some really hard things they struggle through because of their parents in some ways. Yeah. So you just can't help but feeling like, well, then dead gum it. <laughs> you know, like, it's, I mean, there's, I have like a thousand thoughts based on what you just said. So I'm trying to organize them. But I think it's like this heightened awareness of our fragility. So we kind of like go back and forth between kids are really resilient to we're actually all getting traumatized really easily. And so I think that it's it's what you're speaking to is our generation has this heightened sense of awareness of the fragility of, yes, well of, of people. And well said. so we come out, you know, we've come out of it. I mean, I had wonderful parents. I still got stuff that I had to like. Oh, for sure. I mean, I remember sure. having this... I, had this, I don't know, outs my dad, but I had this conversation with him once. And um, I think he was reading actually a part of my book. It was like a, an example. And he's like, is this you? And I, I'm like, I don't know. It's just, I just hear this a lot. And he's like, well, um, did you, you know, he's, he's kind of like went forward in the conversation was like, oh, well, I don't remember calling you dramatic. And, uh, and I was like, I don't know, like maybe you did or maybe not. I don't know, dad. It's, you're a great dad. Like he got like, kind of like, Ooh, a little yeah. worried about it. And, um, and, and I go, I just think it's like what I absorbed. Like, I just mm. kind of like, that's something I took away. As you thought, you know, mm. I'm a little bit, mu- I'm kind of, I'm got a spicy personality a little bit. I have a high, 
a little bit too much. Maybe sometimes, I don't know. Um, I have opinions. Mm. You know, I think I got that messaging and maybe didn't mean to. And like through the conversation eventually, she's like, I maybe called you traumatic a few times. But <laughs> um, but like I, I had a wonderful father yeah. that no, I yeah. adore and I love, but it impacted me. And it was something that I had to, you know, work through as a grown-up. And I feel like that's that's your responsibility as a grown-up is to really be self-reflected, to know yourself well enough to kind of make some of mm-hmm. these changes and decide what you want to do with it. But I think it's just it's just kind of a normal thing. But but that that heightened awareness to our fragility and the impact of parenting on how we turn out has just really we've turned up the dial on that. And our generation, I think it has left us like so very like it's like moment to moment we're aware of it. And yeah. it's it's hard to to live with sometimes. And the divorce piece is a really powerful one too. Mm. Um, you know, I on multiple levels. I think some people have responded to experiencing divorce in their own life by thinking that they can safeguard themselves by not getting in committed relationships by skirting commitment oh if i if mm-hmm. i never get married then i can't get divorced so i'll just live with the person so i think there's you know that there's that sort of workaround people have done which leaves actually a lot more vulnerability in the lives of kids if they mm-hmm. choose to have a family and i think uh, another way that it's sort of manifested in our generation is that we have become so much more, I think I said this at the beginning, parenting-centric versus partnership. There's been so much more weight putting put on how we are as parents, how we show up as parents, and less on, you know, what kind of partner am I? And so I think that is, is sort of an effect of growing up in the divorce culture and mm-hmm. really wanting to protect our children from those experiences. Which isn't it, I mean, this is, thank God, I heard this early on, but, you know, how important it is that you care for your spouse first. Mm-hmm. It really is the airplane rules. It's kind of like, make sure you guys have got yours on, then you can actually address your kids and help them. You know, because I think, like, kids, knowing they're in a safe place and see that, it gives them so much more security than we can trying to give them security other ways. When mm-hmm. they look at their family, go like, mom and dad care for each other. They prioritize each other. And then they prioritize us. It's like everybody feels, it's, it's just natural. Kids go, mm-hmm. okay, I'm good. But the, and they can feel mm-hmm. when it's like, why do you talk to dad like that, but you talk to me like this? Mm-hmm. You know, like that feels a little weird for some reason I can't explain. So I think there's a lot of things that are just inferred in that that help more than we even really want to talk about. By just caring for your partner well and prioritizing them and then your kids and how then it just it, everything lines up all of a sudden, you know, mm-hmm. kids are so smart. I, yeah. I mean, just, I mean I, I'm not sure how old your kids are. You sit around the same age as mine. Both mm-hmm. of your kids are around. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like they start developing the sense of humor. And I feel like even the jokes, they pick on my husband way more than they pick on me. I think because I feed them and stuff. But like, they, it, <laughs> It's revealing in their humor what they think about things, what they pick up, like yeah. little mm-hmm. stuff from like, you noticed that? Yeah. So it's, yeah. it is so wild how um, the way that we interact in our partnership really is, it is so important because it is setting a template for them. It's like a framework or, or what they're going to take into their adult relationships, what they're going to expect from a partner, mm. what they're going to expect of themselves as a partner, how they're going to choose a partner and what they look for. I just feel like it's such an 
under discussed area of relationships uh, mm-hmm. that really impact our kids in such important, important ways. Mm-hmm. And you're so right. I mean, a stable environment of home breeds such a sense of security and trust mm-hmm. in our mm-hmm. children that is uh, immeasurable. Yeah. Yeah. So for people who don't know, we've mentioned your dad several times, but you work with your dad mm-hmm. and you started like since junior high, right? You started like going to conferences and stuff with your dad. So you have been steeped in this whole world yeah, I for a like long, long time. When I look back, I was like, I think I was an experiment because there were, he just, I, you were I, right have off. His, I yeah. yeah, I was a right There were some tax benefits. Story of my life. <laughs> right off. I, I mean, so he went back. So he was a pastor, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he, my dad, too. Yeah. He went back to school. I was pretty young, but um, I would go to classes with him. I I had like a, back then, you know, our doctor kits for with kids were like these plastic briefcases. I don't know if you remember these. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I would pack that up with candy and markers and I would go to class with him. I'd take notes and this is crazy. So, the teacher that I went to her class, she taught vocational psychology. When I got my PhD, I took her vocational psychology no class and it was the same stuff. I I still remember drawing these big circles on my um notepad when I was a kid and I'm like, We're still we're still learning this. Oh, so that is crazy. It's crazy. But uh I have such good memories going to his classes with him and then anytime we'd have a long car drive he would play this game with me where he'd give me uh like a fake case of a family and he'd say you know what do you think's going on i was probably six or seven what do you think's going holy on holy cow yeah with the family i'm telling you it was an experiment tell what's going on with them you know how would you help the little boy what do you think the little boy in the family is feeling and so I just developed a love of like analyzing the dynamics. And I think too, there's this association of like really connected time with my dad Mm -hmm. doing this stuff. And so, I mean, since I can remember, I wanted to be in in this profession and and specializing in relationships. So yeah, so junior high would work, you know, he'd he'd present stuff, started writing courses for singles actually is where he began. Um, and we started teaching them at churches. And so I'd go, you know, I'd, I'd like run the money, um, you know, and people would buy stuff. That was like the fun thing for me to do. And then, um, in high school, I started going to marriage conference with like bigger names like Gottman and Gary Chapman and people like that and running his booth and working, you know, working on it, sitting through his trainings and just, I feel like I just grew up in it. And, you know, I knew at some point I needed my own credentials if I was going to do this work too. So you needed that, that plastic yeah. to turn to leather. Yes. On the I can <laughs> so, only imagine like you sitting with like your high school boyfriend, you know, like having this deep talk, you know, he's like, I don't know if it's working. You're like, Ted, let me ask you a couple of days. How are, how are things at home? And he's like, uh. okay, well, this is a total, total <laughs> yes. side note, but I yeah. had written this down because you, you say you put on, I think it was your website and your bio. That you and your husband were high school sweethearts. Yeah. And yeah. you say, I realize when I type that, I lose a little street cred. <laughs> and so I just need you to know, like, we did break up and then we got back together. And my <laughs> wife and I went to the same high school mm-hmm. and then started dating. But I always make it a point to say, like, but we didn't start dating until, like, latter college. Yeah. Because I do feel like there's a, some, there's, like, a little bit of street cred that I feel like I, I'm losing with people. It's, I know. I, I don't know if it's like, it's like 
what I imagine homeschoolers experience when they're like, well, I was homeschooled. But we had like, we did all, you know, you have to like yeah. give this yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of yes. caveat to yes. it. It's so funny that you said that. Well, yeah, but, because I feel, yeah, I'm like, how, if people are gonna be like, how can you teach about relationships? You not even dated anybody. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, well, you're the you're the point zero zero one percent that met your spouse in high school. Yeah. 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 So, but back to your dad, I, I have to imagine that him, especially the fact that he, this was like a second career, so he started mm-hmm. all this stuff later in his life, and then you were steeped in it, and then eventually went on to get your own, you know, dozens and dozens of degrees as you have. Where do you guys, where do you guys, um, you know, lock, not, what's the, what's the phrase? Where do you guys disagree? And, and on what point specifically do you think it's generationally? You know what I mean? Like you're coming in with looking through all of this psychology that you said it was the same course that you took twice in your life once when you were six one when you were 22 or whatever but you're looking at it through the lens of your generation right Mm -hmm. and other lenses your your gender all that kind of stuff but where do you see those two sort of differing oh i've never been asked this before well Um, we ask a lot of great questions that's a great question where do we disagree we have a really good relationship, so I feel like we can. I mean, you feel like he I, called I, you dramatic. He this is yeah. disagrees, so that's one. We di- I disagree. I disagree with that. <laughs> There's the first disagree. I think you know. I think in terms of like content and the interpretation of content, you know, one area that I feel like he was just not up to speed on was the men- the mental load stuff. Hmm. Do you guys know what that is? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the, um, it's kind of a different experience, uh, you know, I'm broad strokes here, but different experience for, um, for men and women in relationships where women tend to carry the bulk of the responsibilities. And so like we have, we have a course for couples and I was like, we got to revise this course because you talk about needs you talk about this, you don't talk anything about how stuff is handled, like division of labor, mental load stuff. And Mm -hmm. this is like one of the hottest topics for women it's moving to the forefront people are fiery about it um and you're sort of missing it and he's been really open to it but it's required like a lot like we've revisited the conversation a lot of times and even i think you know just the experience of working together over the years is like my experience as a woman uh and a mother specifically versus his is very different in our work Mm. life, which we've had to talk about sometimes in these super understanding, but just, it's almost like, you know, you don't know when you don't, you just don't know it unless you've lived it sometimes. And like, you know, it's like, dad, when you're working and mom brings your lunch into you and, you know, you then, she comes and gets your plates and like (laughs) handles that and the laundry's done and the house is clean and all those things like, I'm doing what you're doing and what she's doing. Yeah, so yeah, like yeah. there's yeah, way yeah, more. Right. So I think part of that was has been, you know, just stuff that we, every now and then I'm like, I think I need to say something about this because it feels like maybe you don't get it. But mm-hmm. for the most part, he's just, he's like a really good listener, understanding guy and willing to change. He's yeah. willing to adjust yeah. and change, which is such a wonderful quality in people. The expectations and the differences of expectation it's the water that we swim in so we can't yeah 
I can't fault Amy for not knowing what it, what it's like for me and vice versa, but you know, which is why we need to communicate and, and why like your book is great because guys need to read this stuff and think about what it actually is like for women and for moms. You can observe it, but there, but there's another level of what is expected of you. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about this earlier when we were talking about, um, the how you kind of lose yourself and how generally speaking women um more often are expected to kind of put the other relationships first before themselves and i think the lens that i i see that through is well i'm a guy so it's a little more socially acceptable if i bow out of something or if i fall short of some sort of relational expectation because there's the like, oh, well, he's one of the, the dads. The Maybe lower. he had a work thing. Mm-hmm. The bar is lower. So whatever we do, we just get praised for as parents. And moms just have such a high bar of expectation, both for themselves and for other, other moms, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, so with that said, uh, as we wrap this puppy up, I don't know why I went with puppy, but it's, there it is. It's the empathy in me. It's small. It's sweet. I want to take care of it. Um, Kind of to, to, to y'all's last uh, points here, um, the, one, the one last question I'll ask, and then John has one more, is like, how can husbands help? Like, when you think, I mean, be it mental load or anything uh, in this, you know, one of your areas of expertise, for the dads who are listening, and they're going, man, okay, there's, there's a lot that my wife is dealing with that I may know or not know. What are some of the most helpful things that we can do to enter that space and help more? Yeah, I hear the same things over and over. So I'd say um, one of the most important things you can do, and I'm using the words of somebody I interviewed once because it's just so good, is to be a data collector in your own home. Hmm. I, I feel like part of what moms feel frustrated and women feel frustrated about is that we are like the knowers of everything. We know where stuff is. We know what, who, you know, whose appointments are when. We know who's struggling with what. We know what food we have in the house and what we need to get. We are the knowers of everything. And so what we truly desire is to have our partners step into that world just a bit more just a little mm-hmm. to, to be um, in the know of what's happening in the home. And I think one of the best ways is to be a data collector, which is essentially like you're just paying attention and collecting this data and storing it and thinking about how can I use this information to show up for my kids or my wife or, um, you know, my family differently and um, more wholly so I can mm-hmm. also be more of an active participant and stuff. Because when you know what's going on, it's easy to step in. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, great. That's one um, to be, I think too, I hear a lot from women. It doesn't sound like these are things you guys struggle with, but I hear a lot from women that they want their partners to have a desire to be more part of the family. Just this want to aspect of like, I'm struggling and I need help. Why doesn't he want to help me? Like, mm-hmm. what is that? And I think mm-hmm. that that's sort of a heart issue, right? And, and a mindset issue of, of how we show up in our family. Are we here to serve one another and care for each mm-hmm. other? Are we in it for ourselves? Mm-hmm. Do we only give when we get, you know, or do we selflessly give? And so I think I, I hear that a lot. The more mm-hmm. you can express a desire, even if you don't know what to do, if you're like, I don't know how to help you. If you can express the, express the desire to want to help, that's going to go a long way in your relationship. Just, you know, I see you're struggling. I want to help you. Mm-hmm. Let me know what's the best way to serve you right now. Mm-hmm. I think can go a long way. 
Um, I think initiation is another thing that I hear and all this sort of like feeds into another. If you kind of know what's going on in your home, um, you can initiate taking care of things mm. and to be helpful or um, support when your partner needs it. I one of the my husband travels almost every week, so I, I carry the majority of the load most of the time and it's just kind of how it functions. But when he's home, he has this really nice way of saying to me, what's on your plate today? And it mm. is the simplest question. It takes almost no energy, but it lets him in my world and allows me the chance to articulate what's going on. And almost every single time I tell him what's going on, he's like, oh, let me take care of this and this for you. Wow. I got you. That's great. And it's such a nice way to feel really known and to feel really cared for. So mm. those are some ways I think, ooh, one more. Um, appreciation is so important. I hear time and time again from moms when I talk about the mental load, you know, I don't really need them to do anything. I just want to feel valued for mm. what I do and appreciated. Mm -hmm. And great. it's so easy to show up this way for each other. Mm. So actually give a formula for a good compliment because I think a lot of people... Oh, I saw this video. This is uh, great. People give terrible compliments. I great. remember I've had to do it with my husband because it's one of my deep needs, but he'll be like, you're a good mom. And I'm like, you could tell that to like some random lady you saw walking down the street. That means nothing to me. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's um, observation, what you see, plus the impact it has on you or your family, plus how it makes your life better. So... Mm. I see how much you take care of um, all of the stuff to get ready for back to school. It helps all of us feel like everything's handled. I'm not worrying about anything now. And we just love the way that you think about us and anticipate our needs. And it yeah, just makes our right. lives so much easier. It's You elaborate these things a little bit. And that will fill your partner up so, so, so much. That's great. Man, that's, that's great. Good. Well done. Okay. Last question. And this is, this is going to be tough. But because you've given you've given us lots of great stuff, but let's just say hypothetically, God forbid, everybody listening to this forgets everything we've said so far, and they can only this is going to probably happen with a lot of the dads, but for the moms it won't. It's hypothetical for the moms. They can only re walk away with kind of one phrase, kind of one mantra. That what would that be? That you would we'll do one for the moms. One for the dads. If they can only walk away with one mantra, what would it be? Does it have to be new? No, no, no. Repeat it. No, 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 no. no. But you do have five seconds. Go ahead. Okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then, no, then kidding. the computer okay. will self-destruct. Okay. <laughs> I think for moms, it would be one of the mantras of or the call to action of my book, which is "Mother yourself like you mother your kids," mm. or the shorthand is "Go mom yourself," mm. which is. Uh, we need regularly reminded that we've got to check in on ourselves. Um, how are we doing? You know, I give five steps for how to do this in the book that are really simple. You can do it in the amount of time it takes you to like cut a PB&J. You can check in with yourself. So um, I think we need to do that so we don't lose touch with who we are so that our needs don't become so invisible that we don't even know what we need mm -hmm. anymore. Um, so that's what I would say to the moms, to the dads. I think the data collector is it. I, I think that is one of the most important things you can do because it's a gateway to allow yeah. you to step into all sorts of things. You can step into more of a leadership role in your family when you know what the heck's going on. And I see mm -hmm. just this sort of rise in not all dads and not all men, but in some men, this passivity in the home where moms are like, we're ruling the home and dads have taken a passive 
backseat. And I think it's great if you are in the note that you can then step into more of a leadership role in the home um, and managing those relationships and taking initiative more often. Come on. That's great. The doc just checking in, folks. That is... The doc is in session. Thank you so much yeah, for coming yeah, on. Thank you so really for having so much. me. This so is much. fun. And everybody go buy a new book. Um, wait, where's the title? I've got it somewhere up here. One second. <laughs> I've got I wrote it this. down. I've got it. Love got your kids it. without losing yourself. Yes. That's it. Dad, please.